Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the Elm City Lit Fest podcast. Elm City Lit Fest is a celebration of literature and literary arts of the African diaspora. Elm City, because we're based in New Haven, Connecticut, which is the Elm City. My name is Ife Michelle Gardine. I am the creator, founder of Elm City Lit Fest. And today we have with me my co-coordinator, Shab McAllister. And in the background on our handling our Facebook Live, as always, we have our other coordinator, Ms. Emily Mayo. And tonight we are so excited um, to have um, our guest tonight because uh, I started Elm City Lit Fest because I'm a writer. And, now I, and this is my first time being published in this wonderful book by this lady from Hartford's Literary Integrated Trailblazers, one of the visionaries, the main visionary. The book is called Every Kind of Lady and Her Sister's Pages. And we have a lady in Zima Hutchings. And we have sis, uh, Lady Amira, who is hailing from New Jersey. Amira is also a poet and Busy lady down in, in Jersey, <laughs> handling it. Mm -hmm. I will let Enzima and Amira talk a little bit about themselves, and then we'll get into our discussion in some reading. Go ahead, Enzima. We can't hear you, baby. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. I am honored, as always. I love you all. And um, so I'm here to share a little bit about me and about this project. And I am grateful for you all for having me. And so I am an author, a poet, an expressive writing coach, a literary wellness coach. And um, so, yes, we just published our first, our inaugural, because <laughs> it's going to be annual, um, anthology to every kind of lady and her sister's pages. Um, I am, when I say expressive writing coach, people often say, well, what is that? It's not a made up word. It's, a, it's someone who um, use writing as a healing tool to help others. So I help others to find um, ways to express themselves um, in a therapeutic way. Um, the Every Kind of Lady mission is to strengthen women and teen girls uninhibited voices, emotional wellness, and emotional intelligence, as well as provide empowering literary productions, guidance, and diverse platforms for them to practice their active acceptance and share their narratives using expressive writing, poetry, therapeutic journaling, and a variety of healing mediums. So here I am, and I'm just so excited because this book took off and made number one on a new re book release. And these women here are in the book. <laughs> so. And we have Amira. Amira, she's one of the authors. How are you? Hi, hi, everybody out there. Peace and blessings, everybody in Facebook land. And I am extremely, extremely um, blessed to be on this platform. My name is Amira. 
Um, I'm a writer, a poet, an author, an illustrator, photographer, and also the facilitator, founder, and the woman of When Women Speak, which is a platform where all women creatives get together to share their talents with not only each other, but with the world. And now that we're on live stream, we're able to reach far and beyond our normal capacity, and we're loving every bit of it, which is what brought me here. I am also the co-host co of When People Speak, which is the, the brother uh, of platform for male entities to come and share their work. So together, these two platforms are reaching many, many people and allowing them to share their voices out there in the world. I'm a teacher, a mother, and just an all around okay person. So what inspired you ladies to start writing? How did your writing journey begin? Uh, who would you like to speak first? You can go, Sister Amira, then Miss Nzima can follow. Okay. Well, for me, it, it was one of those things where I already, I knew very early as a child that I was a writer. Um, I remember telling my mom way back when um, that this is one of the things that I would, I would do. Um, however, life kind of catches you, and I went in a different direction, only to find myself um, now in the forefront of this, this whole writing experience and telling my stories to people out there and having them um, connect and also rejoice in the words that are shared, not only in Breathing Through Concrete, but on the platform of When Women Speak and When People Speak. Um, I facilitated many youth, many, many youth um, poetry venues and clubs and organizations. And I have to my credit having um, produced uh, many program shows where the youth poets would um, perform. And um, I actually really didn't start performing myself until um, quite recently. I would think it would, would be considered quite recently because I always consider myself a writer and not so much as a performance poet. And even the style of poetry that I do now are more like narratives of people's lives um, uh, read out, cried out, bled out through poetry. So that's my life as a writer and as a poet. I mean, it's always been here innately since the beginning. And now it's starting to flourish. I guess when my, kid, my kids left home, I had more time than I needed. <laughs> so I'm out there. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's my story. Sister Zima. So uh, mine began in, I wanna say Dear Diary Days, just a notebook and expressing myself, all my feelings, my anger, my hurt in a notebook. And I was a kid and I would always do that. Um, it was my go-to to, um, I was the only child in the house. And so if I was angry, rather it was, you know, my father or whatever, I'm just writing it out to express myself. And I would do that. I, I didn't realize that it was me releasing. And um, so I went to school years ago, years ago, I don't want to date myself. <laughs> and um, we was tasked with an assignment and um, I was, I went right back into what I knew and I started to express um, something that was really painful I was dealing with. Um, and it was in regards to my daughter. And it was, so I was told by a professor what I was doing. I was 
expressively writing. And so then I started to um, take up certain courses that would talk about poetry to really, you know, I um, to jump into it, to learn more about it. It was just first, it was just like a composition 101 course. And then I ventured into um, signing up for being intentional for poetry courses. And I entered into a contest and I competed against folks, I believe it was Connecticut, New York, and Boston. And I came in first place <laughs> with a piece that I wrote. And I was, I was like, oh, I'm, um, you know, more than poetess. And, and, and it gave me, it, it gave me um, confidence to keep going for it. And um, so it's published in the Freshwater Poetry Journal. And from then on, I will um, participate in open mics. I used to have um, a backyard cafe. Mm -hmm. I love everything cafe. And so I would invite people to my home and we would share and write. So it was like a little club. And and also um, I had a youth group of all girls and it was Cafe Sisterhood Book Club for Girls. And we would show up to all of the college pub, um, readings and things like that. And it was something I ran out my home. And you know, from this day, I would see the girls and they would, you know, you know, yell at me and give me the same kind of confidence that was given to me when I ventured out and share what I was writing in my notebook throughout the years. So that what had um, inspired me. And then I found that it was actually a thing. It was expressive writing, um, thera therapeutic journaling. And then I went to school um, in human services and counseling skills. And then I started taking courses like um, counseling, sexual violence, and just everything that will have to do with women issues or young girls. And here I am. <laughs> so. And can you let's go into a little bit about your the the Hartford's Literary Integrated Trailblazers, Hartford's Lit <laughs> yes, yes. Um, journey that you it's a group of visionaries that came together and you, now you're doing dynamic things in, in Hartford. Yes, you know, um it's funny, I have to be reminded because of all the different things that I do, you know, um, because it's just so much. And when you love something, it don't feel like work or anything. You just have a team of people who have the same energy and same love for what you're doing. Um, so Harper's Lit Literary Integrated Trailblazers is a group of artists um, who came together, like she said. And, you know, and I was just happy that people wanted to ride with me. So <laughs> I... Um, <laughs> We was, um, I've been trying to do a poetry retreat or writer's retreat for years or to do something phenomenal, something big. And I, I think I whispered in a billion people ears and I knew I needed a team. And so one day I remember um, being at a Barnes and Nobles book festival and I looked over to Tashala. <laughs> I said, Tashala, would you be interested in helping me do a book festival? Because I don't feel like this is something that um, I, you know, this this wasn't my idea of a festival. You know, I, it wasn't nothing. It wasn't black enough. It wasn't, <laughs> it was just not what we was feeling. It was not my vision. I thought I was going to a festival. And it was just real quiet. It was a bunch of tables and you sat there quiet and, it was 
anyway, so long story short, it was birthed out of me sharing other people jumping on board. From then, we gone into our third year of doing a book festival. So we've um, last year, you know, was hard. So we did everything virtually. The year before, we did uh oh dynamic book festival we had like over 90 something vendors people came out the woodwork live um uh, presentations poetry a live band and you know we started book chats book clubs with um the harford public library called harford reads in color um and brothers be heard we just kept going on and on and on and then so this is our third year so um but before that, I've been connecting with Ife, and she started Elm City Lit, and we said, look, what can we do with Connecticut? And so I'm here, and I just want to connect with people who who are interested in really having our voice heard or um, left behind in a literary legacy yes. way. Yes. And Sister Amira. Yes, ma'am. You got the book well you're you're a a, a photographer <laughs> yes, Teacher, illustrator yeah. um, tell us a little bit about your journey in in the uh in breaking through concrete let's mm -hmm. talk about your okay so yeah the 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 poems the collection the anthology of poems in breathing through concrete are um combinations of of people souls, children that I've met over the years as a public school teacher. And, you know, these poems are telling the stories of their lives. Um, each poem is a real person that I've met or a combination of real people that I've met with lives that are similar. Um, I think that sometimes people don't understand what uh, teachers are up against when they stand in front of a group of children from various backgrounds and um, not always knowing what they went through before they got in front of you or what they'll have to return to after they leave you. So one of the things that I started doing, each poem in the book was a spoken word poem prior to it becoming um, written and published. So the poems had to be transformed into um, poems that could be read um, because they were all spoken pieces. So, you know, as you're speaking, you're bringing inflection, you're bringing your voice, you're using hand, you want to have that same emotion on the pages. So that was kind of difficult. Um, so the journey was I worked with a company called Rebel Publishing um, to get this first book published. And um, they helped a lot. Um, I also found myself in a, in a, in a place where I wasn't really sure. I wasn't really sure of me. Even though I had many, many accomplishments prior to being published and which I left out earlier, um, I had also been responsible for publishing 300 students. They all were published. Um, I just had to break out of my shell and get that self-confidence to really have my voice and my stories um, heard so that people could, could listen and respond to them and connect to them. That was a difficult journey. Um, as a poet, as a writer, you all you all feel that because everything that, that you do, everything that you write is a reflection on you. It's a part of you. So 
the last thing I wanted was for someone not to get it, not to understand it, or not to be able to connect with it, or just say, oh, that was a really terrible poem. <laughs> um, that was a, the last thing I wanted in, in this journey to becoming a published uh, author. I was a, a published illustrator before a published author. And as I said, I illustrated all of those books for those kids and had them performing and, and giving them the encouragement that they needed to, to um, get on stage and do their poetry and even family members. I was just like, I would be at poetry venues and I go, yo, you, you could do better than that and push them, put their name on the mic. So on the mic list. So when they called the next poet, they would be surprised that, hey, who put my name up there? And it was me. And I could remember my friend and I, we we went to a poetry venue and we were both all ready to go. This is our, this is our debut. We're going to get on stage. We're going to do this poetry. And after the poets started performing, we just took our little poems, put them in our pocketbook and we're like, okay, not today. It takes, it takes a lot. It takes a lot to get the courage. And um, one of the things I'm thankful for is when I started When Women Speak, um, it was started for people like that. We have uncovered so many talented women and so many women needing a space, a safe, encouraging space to just find themselves or find themselves again, connect with other people in an environment that was not discouraging, that was um, opening and nourishing. And no matter what you got up there with, people understood it. So we found that after the first show, well, including the first show, it was to a sold out audience. There were no seats, there, were no, there was no parking, there was only standing room only when we um, mentioned that this would be a spot for women only, meaning all women on the stage, all women in the audience, all women vendors at a women's owned facility. So we've been breaking down doors ever since that and then, and we're going like two, three years strong now with the same type of audience. Um, the only thing that's changed is COVID. COVID now, um, we're, we're live on Facebook and YouTube. So we're not in control of who sees the show, but we're, we're still um, promoting women. And we've come to the understanding that you're empowering another woman um, is what will make the world strong. Because you know, women are the nurturers, they're the backbone of society, they're the backbone of civilization. So they have to have a place to be. And it's been a wonderful experience. And I wouldn't give it up for the world. And yeah, we're still going, still going strong. That is such a blessing. And sister, when you were talking, that that's the reason why I like the Elm City Lit Fest was created. We're here in New England and Connecticut, it's a sterile environment. New Haven has a very vibrant arts community, um, but there wasn't a focus, the, a, a, a focus on the literary artists of, of the African diaspora. Like there's so many talent. We, and, and as Nzima said, people start coming out the woodwork. Yeah, yeah they did. Yeah. 2018, I'm, I, I was like, I'm putting a book, I'm putting a book festival together, Lord help me. I, I'm going through Instagram. I see Hartford's Lit advertise uh, the book festival happen. I was like, oh, I got to connect with them. Mm -hmm. And Sister Tashala, we got to shout her out. She on Facebook watching us, giving us love. Sister <laughs> Tashala and Enzima came down. We broke some bread. 
We yes. started talking and 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 we've been connecting, disconnected ever since. We got partners up in New London with culture as fuck and AF. Group <laughs> of young people making it happen. And 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 both of our literary festivals, this was our first year with the Elm City Lit Fest, and we all we had to we didn't get a chance to be live, but going virtual just helped it out so much. And and the and like you said, we want to help the voices of literary artists of the African diaspora. And I've been sitting on my writing forever. Yeah, too long. Yes, I've been yes. just sitting on it. I got a whole bunch of stuff, and so um, we're gonna go to a discussion. I'm up here running my mouth. <laughs> I got questions. Um, before we transition into the new work that just came out, Sister Mira, I wanted to ask you, how was that journey of publishing those 300 students' work? What was in their work? And I could only imagine the emotional release and outlet that it was for them to, because once you put it on paper, it's kind of, you don't have to carry it all by yourself anymore. So how was that? What did you see in those students at that time? What did that do for them? Well, I was the poetry, the poetry um, club facilitator, right? So the kids would come every um, week, two times a week, and to write poetry and to just have somebody listen. Because lots of parents, either they're busy or they don't know how to. They've never been trained to listen to their children. So teachers will tell you that we know stories that parents probably never heard. Um, they would start out wanting to write poetry. Like, this is middle school. I love this boy, he loves me. And it's like, mm -mm, we're not doing that. Cause first of all, the only thing y'all loving right now is these books. So we're gonna, <laughs> we gonna turn that around. So I introduced them to classical poetry first um, and poetry of the African diaspora. And they were required to memorize pieces from, you know, legendaries, you know, Langston Hughes, those kinds of things, Paul um, Lawrence Dunbar. and. Um, not only memorize it, but they had to perform the pieces, sort of like a, a mini miniature poetry out loud um, performance. And they also had to take information and details from current events and write poetry about that before I allowed them to write a love poem. Cause like they don't know, they don't know that they don't know love, you know? So it's like, what can I expose them to, to get them started into what is real, what is real? Um, and to my um, pleasure, each and every performance that these kids did was to um, audiences, which school-based, but they always left the audience speechless because no one believed that these kids came here with these abilities and came here with these talents and were able to express themselves and, and write um, comparisons to the greats, you know, like write responses to poetry, like we wear the mask, what does that really mean? And perform that. And it was just amazing. So the work was very, very difficult because not only did they have to um, write, they also had to illustrate. And it didn't matter how they illustrated. Like I wasn't, I'm not an art teacher, you know, although I love art, they could draw anything that they wanted to, to represent the lines that they've written in their poems. So each kid had a page for, for writing and a page for illustration. So I collected all of those pieces, made poetry anthology, and then it, it, it came out to like 300 kids with the help of other teachers as well. 
So um, one day we just decided to bring those poems to life as well. So I asked all the classroom teachers, you know, if your kids were participating in the in the poetry and the book writing, then your class has to put on a performance based on what's in your anthology. So it was amazing. They came in costumes, the kids tore it up. Um, I remember one anthology, because it was several books, um, was about all the famous people from Newark. All the famous people that they had to research from Newark, including um, Amiri Baraka, you know, those types of famous, famous people. So um, the journey was very, very uplifting for me. Um, the most uplifting part of it is now as an adult running through poetry circuits and looking up and seeing one of those kids that I had in my poetry group still doing poetry and on the stage doing their thing. So mm. like, that's the most rewarding part of it. And, you know, like they, they were also challenged to read and write, which is outside of the norm of how education is done now. It's so regimented. But when I, I found that when I allowed them to write from their heart and required that they research, they did it. So this is a natural way of learning reading and writing as opposed to um, what they are encountering in classrooms across America at this point, and especially in urban areas. So it was a very beautiful experience and I was happy to be a part of it and happy to be a part of their lives. And some of them, when they see me again, they're gonna be surprised to know that I videotaped and audio taped some of those poems and keep, I kept them. <laughs> and when I'm having my down moments, I play a couple of them. And it's, it's really, really, really a very, very moving and rewarding experience. That's powerful because a lot of the time, especially in urban areas and coming from Newark Urban to myself, a lot of folks think we can't be held to a standard or that a standard is too high. That no, we really just need the opportunity to be exposed to it. What can you do if you don't know about it? If you've never had someone take those steps for you, you exposing them to Langston Hughes and challenging them to be them their best selves and to write and to illustrate. Folks, I know I would have been like, listen, I can't draw. She said, she said draw so I'm gonna draw but and then for you to full circle and see some of these students on the stage and in these poetry circuits it who knows what that could have done for them that probably saved a lot of their lives and kept them from different other outlets there were kids that couldn't read they couldn't read and it wasn't their fault that they couldn't read they had some types of learning disabilities but they could write they could write poetry, they could memorize, and they could tell you, they could make reflections of what, what it was that you were exposing them to and be able to um, respond to that. I'll never forget, I had one kid that he just just couldn't could read. He was on a second grade reading level in, in, in sixth grade. And he just was phenomenal as a poet. You know, and they made it all the way down to, uh, N.J. Pack in a youth performance um, at one point. So we're talking um, things that were never ever discussed, by the way, by the school system, but to have one teacher with the help of others, let me not leave them out, publish 300 kids and nobody ever mentioned it. You can see what direction I'm gonna take this conversation in in a minute, but I'm not gonna go there. <laughs> And, and Zima, like, 
the many um, publications that have come out of uh, Harford's Lit. Like yes. you have several, your your Tashala, your other visionary folks. Um, several of your people have um, have public have publications too. And I want to also express, like um, as you were talking, Sister Mira, about literacy in our within our community. There are, I'm on the board for Literacy Volunteers of Greater New Haven and people make it through life. And and they're not they're not good readers, but they can express themselves. Yes, ma'am. And 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 writing and poetry um through that is self-expression, it gives people a boost. And one of our missions, part of our mission with Elm City Lit Fest is to enhance literacy. We want to encourage people to read, young people or adults to read anything, even if it's like, because we have some dynamic black comic books mm -hmm. out right now. Like, that, like that's a whole nother genre that's lifting off. The Schomburg Library in New York just had a black, comic book festival, a black Comic-Con. They have it every year. And we have to really emphasize in our self-expression, in, 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 in remaining within ourselves and our cultural identity that the literacy is important. And a lot of times people want to see it, it helps when they're reading from their experience. Like we, we read from our experiences, from our life experiences and from our world, you know, or how we perceive that world. I'm, I'm sure there's a whole lot of writers that have a whole lot to write that a lot of writing that came out of the past month of yes. this, you, this yes. United States. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay. So we're going to go into this book. So <laughs> Every kind of lady in her sister's pages. And I'm so, so honored that I'm one of the sisters in the pages. Yes, <laughs> yes you are. I'm excited. I not get one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, um, I'll have, we'll have um, Sister Enzima, if you could read two pieces, and then um, Sister Amira, and then I'll read two pieces. And then Sha will ask us questions about our work. Right, Sha? Yeah, because I bought, I thought I was getting the right piece, but I ended up buying the journal. But oh, it's just so great. So are you, and you got, the, oh, you got the little journal for the, the, the teams. That's nice. I thought I was on beat, but I was yeah. off by a few steps. <laughs> no, that's okay. I'll send you one. How about that? So. <laughs> okay, so um, the first piece I would like to read um, is... I'm going to read um, Invisible Black Angel. And um, I just want to say that this piece was birthed from a combination of two encounters. And I wanted to give voice to um, the Black women who are um, battling drug addiction and how this world... Um, 
did not give any attention to, to you know, well, for black people at all, people of color, um, until it, it seemed to become an epidemic in, their, in, in the Euro, European communities and <laughs> um, the suburbs and things. So this one is called Invisible Black Angels. Miss Miss Lady, she'd say, help me get back to my good good and stay. Help me get away from my body bartering. She said it done wore out. She'd cry these ashy bloody knees and pissy warehouse floors kills. But the touch of the glass pipes, the smells and fumes from burnt spoons, street ruins, late night being invisible while pushing needles through, get me through. The hand-over-hand -hand exchanges, the looking sideways and back and over her bony shoulders gave her numbs and thrills day to day. It's part of the high and penance of such, the immense try to escape her unending broken heart from whence her father pulled her legs apart. She carried the blame in her gut. See, it had come up and spilled out when her lips parted as she explained her beginnings and endings. She repeated and replayed and replayed and repeated her claim, big-eyed and half-hearted. I used to be a good, good girl back in the day, Mama used to say, until she died of being betrayed. Sadly, she never told me her name. She said it had never been important since 11 people called her Felicia and overstated she hoped to never meet her. She said, rest will do to help her get back to her good good and stay. We held hands, prayed. She closed her eyes then passed away. Leaving me a gift and a burden, the ability to see the most invisible America's ignored black angels. Hmm. Wow. Thank you. And um, that should be every kind of lady. I've done <laughs> this over and over, but it's you know, the foundation of the book. So. Okay. Constancy is an unfair brand of a lady. See, I, I think that I've been every kind of lady, her and her and her too. The kind I, I didn't understand. The kind I feared, envied, yet I revered. The kind I, I might have shamed or wouldn't claim. The kind of lady I gotta be. Yes, even that girl. Her and her and her too. The kind I couldn't stand or even forgive. The kind of lady that both lived and survived. The kind I grieved. The kind of lady I pray heavily to be. The kind of lady I, I gotta be. Yes, every kind, even G. Thank you. She knows that's my favorite. <laughs> Thank you. And it was the perfect name for the book. Mm -hmm. Now, Lady Amira, let's hear from you. Certainly. Um, I think that I'm going to, for my first piece, read my newest poem, which was birthed um, after current in incidents. Um, I 
was speaking about Martin Luther King Day and I got a little annoyed, forgive me, um, because when you were teaching children and you asked them about certain um, people of African descent um, here in the Americas, they know two. They know Martin Luther King and they know Rosa Parks and now they know Barack Obama and fourth, um, Kamala Harris now because you know she's vice president. But beyond those two people, they really don't have an extensive knowledge of the other folks that are in our history. So on Martin Luther King Day, when I was asked to have my children do certain activities, um, I was a little annoyed, so I wrote this piece. Um, the title of it is, This Ain't No I Have a Dream Poem. This Ain't No I Have a Dream Poem. Dear Reverend King, happy birthday. Happy birthday, Reverend King, but this ain't no I have a dream poem. Dreams deferred are like tsunamis when unleashed, quaking and rushing, leaving no time to think. Why you say not today? I stood with my hand crossed, folding and holding my heart, pledging my allegiance to a flag that never alleged anything to me. No. This ain't no I have a dream poem, singing we shall overcome, never appealed to me. Get it? I was 10. Hand over heart, words splat, lift every voice and sing, knowing all along I was born by the river in a little tent. Oh, and just like that river, I've been running ever since. And, and mama and them cried and sang the blues, watching views, watching views of Kennedy and Kennedy and Cook and Malcolm and Herbert Lee and Megger Evans and James Cheney and Viola Luso and Fred Hampson, Hampton and the unknown, the unknown Robert Spike and Walsh Jackson until, until Emmett Till in open caskets, box, boxes like pine was our favorite wood. Black memoirs of timeless, timeless timelines in histories, non-spoken in his story or her, her story or our story no this ain't no i have a dream poem because i was four i was four when king peacefully forged for freedom and jobs and jobs and freedom and life and life and little white kids and little black kids having futures of hands linked and bonds of human existences but ain't it something ain't it something when 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 they was talking about me and free and free, I have a dream that one day, no, this ain't no I have a dream poem, cause I was six. I was six when someone yelled, get your hand out my pocket. And shots fired like rockets, popping dreams and spirits and lives into futures of dead end places. So they thought, so they thought no justice, no peace. They left his family crying in the street and I am a man, banners flew free, tattered and shredded, tattered and shredded, tattered and shredded into dreams over decades of more, of more. We shall overcome, but when? This ain't no I have a dream poem, cause you know I was nine. I was nine when the fingers pointed to the skies, or maybe it was the North Star. Sweet Lorraine was a motel. Shots fired, dreams painted on faces, moved to fingertips, and someone yelled, I won't get to the mountaintop with you. I won't. Before dropping 
and all took knees and tears and pain and rains of more. I have a dream, I have a dream, but it's gonna be deferred. Yeah, don't you know? I was two. I was two when we went on that freedom ride. I was five when my rights became legal. Bloody Sunday was my six-year-old birthday memory. Old to Selma, burn Mississippi, burn was my freedom song. And I was eight. I was eight when a man became the greatest. Ali, Ali, Ali. I was nine when you told me I was allowed to live free. Lee, any house, anywhere, just not over there. And I was nine. I was nine when the Chicago Seven walked the line, 11 when the first black mayor of my city went to work. I was 13, run, Shirley, run. Pass the baton to Jesse when you're done. I was 25 and then again, 29. And it's been a long time coming, long time coming, but I know, I know change gonna come. And I was 49 when it was time for a black man to lead the country, tell me, have we overcome? And you know the rest, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just too ready, I guess. A change is gonna come. Oh yes, it will. This ain't no I have a dream poem. Brooks, Floyd, Taylor, Sterling, Gray, Garner, Rice, Amadou, just to name a few. They all had dreams too. Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter, Black lives matter to me now watch your feet watch out for those letters in the street this ain't no i have a dream poem wake up wake up dreams live where you sleep dreams live where you sleep dreams live where you sleep and it's been a long time coming but now i think i think i'm able to carry on because change gonna come happy birthday Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday in the key of Stevie. And I still wonder. So that was the first piece. <laughs> I appreciate that. So whew. All right, so um, I'm gonna do my second piece. The second piece is out of my book, um, um, Breathing Through Concrete. This is the, um, the cover, I illustrated it, um, anthology of poems about kids. And this is gonna piggyback off of what Enzima wrote. It's about, a, a, well, you'll figure out what it's about. The title is, They Be Clapping. See? They be clapping. They be clapping and celebrating your years clean. Yay, you did it. You did it and I sit in silence with applause inside my eyes. Clap, 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 each clap like thunder rippling with my heartbeat. But here's to you, you with your underlying abuse and freedom. But here's to me cause I'm still walking around with this monkey on my back, yet you, you be free. I'm still caught in chains of burnt out pain. Mom, I haven't been freed. I'm still tied to leaning poles, holding the geometry of life by the angle side, 90 degrees of childhood loss, non-tilted straight up rays of madness. 
I hold on to the angles of spent realities, reality to keep them from falling and catching my tears as they slide down poles dripping, but never, ever, ever hitting earth. But I'm strong. I have the strength of a child's essence, of burnt in fortitude, of being silenced, of tears that run inside, of fear, of no way of knowing or showing love without showing hate, of self, of fear, a fear of you returning to her, the monster of my youth. She still hides under beds and closets and in the threads of my worn out knees and eyes sucking snot wells through black holes that should be eyes with souls dripping, leaving paths, paths uncovering cold shavings which cover my heart. And when I'm allowed to breathe, I choke, I choke up you. I fear seeing leaning poles cause they remind every one of them of you. Endless corners with cans, EBT cards, newspapers, kids clothes, mine. You selling them for crack and not food. Mom, I'm zero minutes, zero days, zero months, zero years free. No one freed me. I sit in silence while you are praised. Weak ass excuses for my hell. I stood silent through it all. Where's my applause? My award of being a super effed up kid with a super effed up life that taught me two things, how not to die and how to fight for life. So when the hands lift and before they meet again, vibrating sounds which creep into my cold mind of a heart, you glance at my silence. It holds secrets. Its clap is like thunder with the strength to crack and break through silence. So I see how you might be scared. Scared for me to speak. We are grateful we made it. Made it past late evenings of street calls, 2 a.m. freedom calls, missed class trips, deep nods through parents' meetings, yours. Those gold stockings with holes you wore to pick me up from school. Well, at least you came. And that Afro-matted wig you wore to my graduation smelling like a spilled drink, drinks of salvation, the fights I get into at the kids' snickers about you, the hunger for food and a life, the pain of being a child from the temporary motherless clan, your skeleton frame, your toothless grin, your never new clothes, mine either, my unkept six-year-old self, your screams through playground fences at my lunchtime recess, me pretending not to know you, my missed school days, my smells, yours too, my reflection in mirrors, hoping not to become you, my screams the day they took me from school in that black car from you, Black clouds of thunder scared, left lonely last night and the other night and the other night and the other night when you didn't come home for me. Eight years of foster care, 12 years of blank black stares, 20 years clean, 20 nights of tears and heart screams, my 20 years of living me without you. So yeah, I hear the claps and the congrats and I smother the rage within warming the cold deep within begging to take place to form my diamond. It's like the irony of saying happy birthday to the child when the mom bore all the pain, except mine is in reverse. So they be clapping and I be sitting silent. I be sitting silent, waiting for the encore, waiting for my applause. <laughs> yeah, that's there. <laughs> yes, uh, should I hold that one up? That you can find in this page ninety two. <laughs> page ninety two. <laughs> Thank you, and Zina. Mm -hmm. Oh my God! Yeah. 
So, so stories. <laughs> when I say this, every kind of lady in this book, everybody out there got to get on Amazon and get the book. Mm-hmm. And it has it has prompts in the back. There's journal pages with prompts in the back. So y'all can, if you if you feel so inspired. Yes. Okay. So I'm gonna read. Oh my gosh. That's I'm good. Gonna, okay. <laughs> I don't know if I'm this as fiery as y'all, but I'm I'm going for it. You <laughs> got it. Come on. <laughs> it's based on uh Langston Hughes. Ooh. Langston Hughes's poem. Well, son, I'll tell you. Life for me ain't been no crystal stair. I am a black mother. I live in constant fear of my child being the next name that is shouted through the streets as a force in the movement for the lives of others. Like Sandra Bland, Breonna Taylor, Shantae Davis, Fannie Lou Hamer, Amadou Diallo, Trayvon Martin, Tamir Rice, Botham John, Ahmaud Aubrey, George Floyd, and Emmett Till. We say their names, we say their names, we say their names, all born from the wombs of black mothers like me. Black lives have always mattered. Why is it such an unreasonable expectation for black mothers to hope for their children to live in the pursuit of happiness without fear of being assaulted for being who we are, for being, for living? It's had tacks in it and splinters and the boards torn up and places with no carpet on the floor, bare. I am a black woman. I have a dream aspirations and goals and goals to reach. I'm tired, I'm sick, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of being sick and tired. I'm done with being the strong black woman for everyone. I'm not claiming that box of titles you put me in. I shall no longer be boxed in. Life for me ain't been no crystal stair. I am a black mother. I want my babies to live full and complete lives, having faith that there is no concern for their lives every day, for my son to jog or eat ice cream on his couch, for my daughter to sleep peacefully in her bed, to drive to work with her music playing loud in her car, for my children to play in a park. Black lives have always mattered. I'm responsible for bringing forth all the black lives on the planet. Eyes climbing on and reaching landings and turning corners and sometimes going in the dark where there ain't been no light. I am a black woman. I've cleaned, I've cooked, I've made a way out of no way for so long. I am not as strong as you say I am. I just know how to make it look damn good despite humiliation, scorn, and contempt for my people. And still I rise Mm. and reaching landings and turning corners and sometimes going in the dark where there ain't been no light. I am a black mother. I know the worth of my babies. I pray every day I breathe. The systemic oppression that plagued my people for so long will not cause another black child to harm my child. 
I pray every day I breathe. The system of oppression doesn't stifle and suffocate and kill my child. So boy, don't you turn your back. Don't you sit down on the steps because you find it kind of hard. Don't you fall now. I am a black woman. I stand when my feet hurt, my back hurts, and my spirit is challenged. I persevere when I sit in front of the bus after work of, of after working a long day. I persevere when I'm abused and used at work, at home, and in society. For I still see, hun. I still going, honey. I still climbing. And life for me ain't been no crystal stair. I am a black mother. Black lives matter because I matter. I am responsible for every black life on the planet. I am the force behind the movement. I am a black woman. I'm a black mother. Thank you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what page in Zima? <laughs> that was 43. Page 43. <laughs> buy this book. Buy this book. All okay, these child, you got some questions for it, right? I have so many questions. I have so many feelings. I'm just <laughs> shocked. Going through a lot over here. <laughs> but we have time is against us. But there's one question that I think hopefully if we have time for two of them, but there's one that I want to touch on. Um, Sister Mira, and this is open to everyone. I your poem, um, this isn't an egg, this isn't I an I have a dream poem. I think you touched on something that was really important. And you said, um, have we overcome? When shall we overcome? And I think this is relevant because due to the inauguration, I think people are in a euphoria right now. Mm -hmm. I think folks are extremely happy that we, you know, we're coming out of this four-year tyrant and now transitioning into something that we hope to be new and a new beginning. But I hope that people aren't getting lost in that or that folks feel like the equality has come revolution has come because that's not the case it's just a transition of power we don't know these people to be honest they, they've given us wonderful promises and it seems hopeful but can you speak to the insight of where we are now and do you think we've overcome and if we haven't what does that look like for people what's our responsibility to remain active and vigilant in this time okay so i'm by far not an expert I'm just a human who has just spit her chronological life in that poem. Um, this ain't no, I have a dream poem because I've been through everything in that poem. That's my life that I'm talking about. And I've returned to a place of anger at this point because we went through 2020 with this vigor and these protests and these marches and we let January 6th kind of like settle us down um, because those white folk were at the Capitol doing whatever they were doing. And there's very little talk about us still not seeing the things that we were marching for. And one of the things that we should take with us from our leaders that have given their lives and those types of things is we can't look at them for our answers 
it's up to us to go out there and make sure that the things that we need for us are in place and to work at getting us educated and not allowing them to label us any longer and pacify us and quiet us down with $600, $2,000 stimulus because at the end of the day, those people are still out there. And you saw on January 6th that they went and they took over the Capitol. That wasn't a fluke. They've been training in those military operations since before, before the beginning of whatever. And it wasn't about the Capitol so much as they, they really are planning for a full out, I believe, race war. Um, they're planning for a full out um, civil war. And we need to really open our eyes and see. Um, we vote for people and they give us nothing. There's no way on earth that we should be sitting here trying to figure out who was the lesser of two evils in an election with millions of people in a country. That's all they could find. Uh, wait, let me put it on us. Is that all we could find to run? And whose whose responsibility is it to pick our candidates for us? So we need to begin to uneducate ourselves because of course we have been miseducated and um, I don't think that we have made progress. Let me just say that. And the fact that you see a woman of color as vice president, I'm really not too impressed. Um, we saw a black president whom I absolutely love and have no problem telling anybody that. Um, but with this, there's a whole lot more work to be done. And anytime as the mother of two very handsome young men in their twenties and a plethora of, of nephews that, Every time they leave the house, my heart sinks. And I'm sure everybody on this panel with the exception of Shah, she's a little bit too young, but the rest of us, we know what that feels like. I don't think there's any other ethnicity where the mother of 20 something year old boys and even girls has, has to have that feeling each and every day. So the struggle is still real. Don't be calmed over by the stillness and the relief of some crazy person that they allowed to run the country, so to speak, but we know he ain't really running it. It's who's behind him. Um, we got work to do. And it's, 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 it's by far not over. No, I don't think that we have overcome. I think that we've made strides and there's so much more to do. And we need to begin by educating ourselves and um, educating those around us. And again, I'm not, I'm not political and I'm, I don't plan, I don't take, um, put myself out there as a uh, as the authority, but I, I just know what I feel. I know what I see. And I know that it was just a month ago when I'm still like Black Lives Matter, this, it's still on the street. So now all we can talk about is, well, are they gonna impeach him? Um, is he going, what's gonna happen? Well, what, have, what, what about our boys? And you now you got to see that the things that the people were saying about the police officers is there. How many of them were at the Capitol last week? So this is a real, this is a reality. So yeah, that's my answer. I'm, I'm sure I'm going to be in trouble somewhere, but that's my answer. No, ma'am, ain't no trouble for speaking your piece. Mm -hmm. Facts are facts, no matter how it's delivered. Yeah. So that'll lead me to my next question, Ms. Ife. You're, I just love when she reads her work. I'm just like, yes. her second biggest fan next to her daughter. <laughs> Oh, can you speak of the strength of a black mother and what strength looks like? And has this strength been 
misapplied. And when I say misapplied, I mean, has it just been a blanketed term that has caused Black women to rise to this occasion, which we're always going to rise to, but I feel like at times it's a, people like, oh, they're strong. It, they're fine. They got this. But who is one to measure another's strength? So thank you, Shy. Um, the, it, it takes some strength to, to like, when you bring a child into this world, <laughs> it's a scary thing. And, and as a black mother, it's a scary thing because all mothers, anytime someone gives birth or even when someone chooses to be a mother, because sometimes we take on our, our, our relatives, we take on our, our grandchildren, our nieces, our nephews, things happen because of the systemic oppression in this, in this country and because of drugs and everything that plague our, our communities, we, we choose to be a mother and we choose when we, and when we're mothers, we, it's like, you got to worry every second. Emmett Till's mother way back then sent him down South to get out, to stay out of trouble in the city. And she didn't get him back. Botham Johns was a successful black man. His his family didn't expect that somebody would a, a, a cop would bust in his his apartment and shoot him. Like there's so many things when we get stopped by police, whoever we are, we have to have a whole nother set of a whole nother set of rules and 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 what we got to do and how we got to keep our hands. So this this piece just came out of all of that. And and Langston, because I I love Langston Hughes's writing. I love the writing of of the times of James Baldwin, the Harlem Renaissance, and all that. And they they times haven't changed. Lynchings haven't it hasn't changed. Whether we had a black president or what, like we can't sleep. And as um, Lady Sister Mira mentioned, um, yes, okay, we got another president in the White House. We have a black woman as vice president, but we can't sleep on our on our on our um, politicians at any level, even if we're not political. We still have to become aware because the politics affects us. Everything they do affects us. Um. And, and and it's important just to just to stay aware, but also our self-expression in this poetry and our uplifting our community and our uplifting ourselves and being ourselves is is really key that this literary self-expression lives on and that people still agitate. <laughs> okay, like those folks, because everybody black that watched that, I don't care how rich or poor you are as a black person, you know, deep down in your heart that if that was black people, the, they would, there would have been tear gas dropped from helicopters. There would have been dogs out the national guard. Everybody would have been cold blooded war out there. And those people were allowed to desecrate buildings that black and brown people have to go back and clean up because the cleaning people 
are black and brown people. Oh, yes. So how do they feel? How how do you feel? You got to go into work. So now we paying for overtime. We think about that. After the sixth, the seventh, eighth, and ninth, somebody was working overtime to get to get that get that place back in order. It, it's it's a domino effect. It affects everything at every level. So and 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 like Sister Mira said, those people didn't go nowhere. They just went home. But they had artillery. They had Molotov cocktails. They had all kinds of guns. Come on. We can't do a peaceful march without full-on riot gear police in our face. And we marching hand in hand. When you see Selma, when you see all these other marches. So, and, and our people get shot with no guns, no weapons. Somebody gets shot seven times in the back with their kids in a car. What is that? So we still have to be aware. We cannot sleep on it. We can't, we have to just, we're citizens, just stay aware and, and, and also just pay attention to politics at every level from your, from your council person, all the person, your state reps, all of that. Because what people, what a lot of people don't realize in the 50 states, every state rep that was getting like in Hartford, here in Connecticut, state reps were getting represented in Hartford. Trump supporters went to Hartford and harassed the black reps. Somebody got spit on. So while the big insurrection was going on, the little insurrections all around the country at each state capital with state reps are happening, that was happening too. Now that's a that's a scary infrastructure right there. A civil war could be happening. We need to gird up as black people and be ready for it. And as black mothers, we got to protect our babies and ourselves and our families. Collectively, we have to do that. Because if you think they ain't coming back, they coming back. We got to be girded up and not sleep. And what and, and make the new administration accountable. And I, I will get off that because I will be on it for a minute. I'd like. <laughs> <laughs> and we have to move along. We went a little bit over time. Um, but I'm so appreciative of the time with y'all. Like, sisters, this is so, so very, very inspiring and um, motivating. And I'm so honored to be share the, the platform of this book with y'all. We're going to go places. Shah, do you have another question, babe? Yes, ma'am. I have one last question for Sister Enzima. Now, when you did the Every Kind of Lady poem, a lot of it stuck out and it hit home. But I wanted to ask you about what's the difference between living and surviving? And what does it mean to be an every kind of lady? Okay, so the difference between living and surviving, um, well, living in a, and surviving in the same space, as it says, but living is when you, you're you moving through your your day-to-day, -day, your norm, and you're just living through life. Um, surviving is when people have their nose just above water. They have issues that they deal with. People, um, I, I believe Faye talked about um, the mass and 
we wear masks and we push through those masks and we have so many um, issues that we're dealing with. And people don't understand that when you show up, it took a lot for you to be there. And so when I say live and survive, I learned that a long time ago. And I was like, wow, I'm doing a lot of living and surviving in the same space. Mm -hmm. I get up, I brush my teeth, I get dressed, I will go to work. And I'm just living from the outside, but you don't see everything that's battling from the inside or, you know, dealing with um, grief or other different things that you have to deal with. And a lot of times women, the every kind of lady, she carries so much either baggage, um, like we talked about, we, we walk out the door or, we, or if our sons walk out the door and our daughters walk out the door, we have to give them that pep talk, mm -hmm. you know to teach them how to survive. And in my every kind of lady um, workshops, um, women are talking about domestic abuse. They show up to the workshop smiling, they wanna participate. And then they have makeup on covering some scars. I've met people who have been human trafficking and just all different things, but they're living, they're smiling and pushing past their traumas and, 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 and just living. And, and staying, um, you know, in both spaces. And people don't see that. And so when, you know, you think living is, is living high in a horse or something, it's just the day to day. But when you, you're going through the trauma and the surviving of different things that you're carrying, it is, it is a hard thing to balance. You know, some people are ill. We have a lot going on. And so um, when I wrote that, um, I, I was in a space and I just wanted people to understand that we can't be married to all our yesterdays. We think we know who we are in every space and we would say, this is who I am. But then you come to find out that you show up where you got to show up. You will be the woman that you need to be in that moment. And we have worn so many hats just in one day, but we wear a lot of hats through our years. And so when I say every kind of lady, I think it is about acceptance and owning who, who you are. And I've met so many women who might've said that they've done this or they've been a part of that. And they felt so ashamed until um, they had an outlet and a workshop to say, you know, um, I'm tired of being ashamed of, or my past or people throwing certain things at me. And I said, no, own your story better than anybody else. You got it. Matter of fact, if it's not juicy enough, add some more on top of it, you know, <laughs> and <laughs> speak your truths. And um, acceptance is everything. It helps you live better. You can let it go. So I say that I don't want to hold too much time, but I just really want to say that um, doing this project, the Every Kind of Lady, project um allow other women to say yeah i think i've been every kind of lady too and to bleed on paper to share their truths their perspectives their raw truths and breathe a little bit better mm -hmm. you know so um a lot of women have not have never been published published before and a lot of women um never written a poem before um, and a lot of, a handful of these women, women have participated in the workshop. 
And learning about different women and their struggles and their pain, um, there is a lot of vicarious trauma. You have to do a lot of self-care. But um, so the book is yellow, and that's my way of um, honoring my daughter. And so, you know, you do little things that keep you going. So sitting here with you all, showing up and being present, you know, that is me um, living and surviving because I got a lot going on, mm -hmm. you know, so. I want to say on that note, because um, we're a little bit over time, um, we, we have to find spaces and time to recharge rejuvenate and 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 uh fill ourselves back up whether it's by ourselves or collectively so i want to it's short i'm gonna read my my other poem that's called the way this is the way to be yourself to open your heart to know how authentically real you are accepting your flaws your wrinkles and your jiggles, loving your fat ass and your floppy titties, <laughs> knowing your instinct is who you want to be in the company with, surrounding yourself in the space of those who also know, are aware, and care. This is the way to be open to yourself, closing out the past, the pain where back there. This is the way to be yourself. Yes. We need to recharge. Yes. It's okay to say, I can't do it. It's okay to say no. It's okay to say, peace out. I have, I'm done. Because <laughs> you got to find other ways to recharge. We have so much to handle. We have so much to, to deal with. Like ch lives, children, uh, relatives lives we juggle a lot and i just want the message to be out there as we as we come to a close of this that everybody find ways and spaces to recharge don't burn yourself out <laughs> yes release release if you have the right and recharge because yes the fight yes. for those people that are that are, are are activists out there in the on the front lines please find a way to recharge and I want to announce that we have um, Elm City Lit Fest has an event coming up for for Valentine's Day because we got we got to get some love in here. <laughs> it's all about some love coming up um, on Saturday, February thirteenth at eleven p.m. We're going to have Midnight Noir bring your love poetry. We'll have the link. It's going to be a Zoom event. It will not be um, broadcast Facebook Live or or anything. Is this is going to be a Zoom, like a Zoom party? Um, and you have to register on Eventbrite to on our website, on our Facebook page to um, to to get in. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we want people to bring love poetry, bring your loved ones. You love yourself, love love on yourself. <laughs> Bring what? your pajamas, your wine, pajamas, whatever you have in your cup is your business. No one is going to check you. <laughs> and this is a safe space. What happens in the Zoom will stay in the Zoom. And there is a ladies, ladies of the pages. They 
Sister Nzima is having a reading on January 29th at 7 p.m. on Facebook Live. So check out them on January 29th and then shoot on over and kick it with us from 11 to 1. Please do not tell us that it's too late because you'll be up anyway scrolling. So come on and pull up and hang out with us. Thank you. <laughs> Ladies, we appreciate, appreciate you sincerely. Thank you for sharing your words and wisdom with us. Elm City Lit Fest, we look forward to for more to come. Thank you. Do you have anything coming up, Sister Amira? Oh, absolutely. Um, I have um, Tuesday, 7 p.m., live on Facebook, When People Speak, co-hosting with Mr. James Ellerby. Um, that's a poetry venue. And then When Women Speak, we'll be back on the scene uh, February 16th. And those are the two events I have coming up. Yes. And everybody and has a Facebook page. Harper's yep. has a Facebook page. Yes. Uh, and uh, When Women Speak. So everybody link in, link in. Link in. <laughs> Let's and keep it going. All female poets to come on out to when women speak. Join our open mic list. Yes. Mm -hmm. Fire. We're going to say goodbye and thank you so much. Peace. Thank you. Peace. Thank, thank you. you. Mm -hmm.